Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Well, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Gene. I'm one of the pastors here at Exilic, and especially if this is your first time joining us this week, I, I really want to welcome you to our church. We're currently going through a 12-week series, sermon series, on the first half of the Gospel of Luke, and we're calling it the Upside-Down Life. In Luke's Gospel, and I think perhaps better than anywhere else in the Bible, Jesus shows us how the Christian life is deeply countercultural, counterintuitive to the values and the wisdom of this world. And what Luke does to kind of really illustrate this is he puts, he often puts two people or two groups of people side by side. And he shows us how each relates to and responds to Jesus. For example, the rich man and Lazarus, the rich young ruler and Zacchaeus, the prodigal son and the elder son, the two thieves on the cross, Mary and Martha. In all of these examples, one person gets it and the other doesn't. And it's usually not the one that the world would expect. And we see this in our passage today. You know, in many Bibles, uh, where before this story begins, there's a heading. The NIV, for example, says, Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. The ESV, the English Standard Version, says, a sinful woman forgiven. But this story is so much more than a story of one person's encounter with Jesus. It's actually the story of two people and their respective responses to Jesus. 
So as we look into this story today, I hope to compare and contrast these two people with each other, but I don't want to stop there because I also want to compare and contrast them to us and the way that we relate to and respond to Jesus. So what is this story about? Verse 36 says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Jesus is invited to a dinner party. And this was a formal occasion, not not some casual dinner. And it was probably in an open space, like a courtyard. And the custom during this time was that for events like these, people could come, even if they weren't invited or even if they were not official guests at the dinner, and they could kind of stand in the back to watch and to listen in on the dinner conversation. So picture this open courtyard in an upscale home. People from the neighborhood observing in the background. And center stage is this long table that's very low to the ground. You know, if you've ever seen Leonardo da Vinci's painting, The Last Supper, you see Jesus and his disciples sitting European style on chairs around a table. Take that image and throw it away because that's not what this looked like. Rather than chairs elevated, your feet under the table, they had these couches that were set up so that the person could recline toward the table. So what would happen was there would be these cushions on the, on the, on the couch and the person would rest his or her left arm on the cushion and maybe even their head and then eat with their right hand. Their feet would not be under the table, but their feet would be extended out away from the table. So people would eat reclining either on their stomach or on their side. That's a more accurate picture of what this dinner looked like. At the center would be the host, and immediately to the left of the host would be the guest of honor. So Simon the Pharisee is the host, And immediately at his left would be Jesus, the guest of honor. Verse 37, Luke says, And behold, and behold. You know, he could have just gone into what happened, but he says, and behold. This is that scene in in the movie when something major happens at a party, and I don't know who's in charge of the music, but you always hear the record kind of scratch to a stop. There's an interruption at this party. A woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Somebody crashes this party. It says here that this was a woman of the city who was a sinner. And commentators almost unanimously agree that this woman was a prostitute. And it was obvious to everybody there what her profession was. You know, these dinner parties, they were typically open to the public. People could come in and out and watch, but a woman like her, A woman of her profession, 
would have certainly been persona non grata at such an occasion. And as soon as she shows up, everybody is staring at her. Wait, what is she doing here? Verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. She approaches Jesus, but she stops when she gets there. She doesn't address him. She doesn't say a word. And in all likelihood, Jesus didn't even notice her standing there because she was behind him. And she just stands behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fall on his feet, and she bends down and wipes them with her hair and kisses his feet and anoints them with oil. What she does here is she completely defies every social custom. She completely breaks protocol. You know, her presence enough was enough to shock the room. But what she does, it absolutely dumbfounds every person there. You know, even today in the Middle East, the worst sin a woman can commit is to lose or even appear to lose her virginity outside of marriage. The single most important asset for a woman in the Middle East is her reputation. That's today. So imagine 2,000 years ago for this unmarried woman to touch an unmarried man, that's unacceptable. But for her to then kiss the feet of an unmarried man repeatedly, that is downright scandalous. But then she takes it a step further, and she does the unthinkable. She lets down her hair in front of Jesus. For a woman to let down her hair in this context in front of a man, it is an act of total vulnerability and intimacy. It is one step short of disrobing. During this time, by law, if a married woman let down her hair in front of another man, that would have been grounds for divorce. So you can kind of imagine people's heads exploding in the room as they are watching this unfold in horrified silence. Everybody is wondering, what is the nature of their relationship? Wait, do they know one another? It doesn't seem like these are the actions of two complete strangers. What is the story? What is the history of Jesus and this woman? Luke tells us what Simon, the host, is thinking in verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You know, Simon's thinking logically. 
if Jesus was a real prophet, he would know who she was, what, sort of, what line of work she's in. So either Jesus is not a prophet and he doesn't know who the woman is, or he is a prophet and he doesn't care what sort of woman is touching him. Neither scenario makes Jesus appealing to Simon. Jesus knows what Simon's thinking. And he tells him a parable about two debtors, one with a larger debt than the other. But the moneylender forgives both debts because neither of them could pay. Jesus asks Simon, Simon, which debtor will love the lender more? And Simon kind of answers begrudgingly, I suppose the one with the larger debt. Well, Simon's right. And Jesus then connects the dots for Simon. Simon, you didn't give me any water for my feet. That was a common courtesy at the time. But she washed my feet with tears and her hair. Simon, you didn't give me a kiss. It was a common courtesy, a common greeting. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with perfume. She gets it. You don't. And turning to the woman, Jesus tells her that her sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is a beautiful, beautiful story. Same Jesus, two very different people with very different responses to him. And I want to go through very quickly the differences between their approaches to Jesus, their commitment to Jesus, and their responses to Jesus. So those three things. First, their approaches to Jesus. You know, Jesus ends this episode by talking about sin, but that's where I want to begin because this entire story really is about sin and forgiveness. The way each of these people views sin completely changes the way they respectively respond to Jesus. And Jesus presents sin in financial terms here, something I think all of my friends in this room who work on Wall Street would appreciate. The woman and Simon, they differ in the way that they view the debt the debtor and the lender, okay? The debt, the debtor, and the lender. When Jesus tells this parable, I think Simon and the woman would both agree with the fact that they're both debtors, right? Simon knows that sin is debt, and debt has to be paid. But to Simon, his debt is not that big. It's not that much. Why? Well, when we think of Pharisees today, we kind of hiss and boo, right? We think that these are all scumbags who, who were always getting into it with Jesus. But as a Pharisee, Simon made it his life mission to obey the law as best he could. He's led a squeaky clean life. He has no vices. He's always at the temple. He studies the Bible He's not some guy who lives this double life. He doesn't have a secret family somewhere. He doesn't have a dark obsession. He's a guy who tries really hard to live a good life. 
He tries to obey God. He tries to be good to others. And if I could defend Simon for just a moment here, Simon really sticks his neck out by even inviting Jesus over. He risks a whole lot by officially associating with Jesus. Remember, Jesus was a very controversial figure. People did not like Jesus, especially Simon's peers. So he is really risking his reputation by inviting Jesus. In John chapter 3, we have that famous discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus. Well, Nicodemus comes to visit Jesus, but he does it secretly. He does it alone. He does it in the dark of night. Not Simon. Simon invites Jesus into his own home, and he does it openly, publicly. He's not this evil villain bent on taking Jesus down. He's curious. He's seeking. He's open. And on the other hand, this woman, you know, we look at this woman now and we go, oh, poor thing. She is this innocent victim. But when Jesus talks about her, he really, he doesn't take kind of the progressive liberal approach at her. He doesn't look at her and say, oh, she's a victim of her circumstances. She's a victim of this entrenched gender disparity or this misogynistic patriarchal culture that kind of marginalized her. He doesn't say that. He looks at her and he says, her sins are many. She's not an innocent victim. She's a sinner. Jesus never excuses her sin. Jesus says, both are sinners. And I think they would both agree. But here's the difference. In the parable that Jesus tells, the woman is the one with the bigger debt, 500 denarii. About the equivalent of $500,000, roughly. Uh, and Simon is the, the one with the 50 denarii debt, about $5,000. But the key to the parable is that neither of them could pay the debt. 500 or 50, it doesn't matter. Both debts are unpayable. And in Simon's mind, he looked at this woman and he thought, oh, her debt, definitely unpayable. Mine, not so much. Simon knew in theory that he was a debtor, but the whole point in him living a good life, it was to pay the debt himself, to earn righteousness. And Jesus tells him, nope, it's not enough. You're not good enough. You're not rich enough to pay the debt. The woman knows this instinctively. Her sin is not theoretical to her. She knows how big her debt is, and she knows that there is no way she would ever be able to repay such a debt. But not only do they see the debt differently and the debtor differently, they also view the lender differently. For Simon, it's all business. It's all numbers and figures. It's about religion for him, rules, rules principles, morals. 
For the woman, it's about relationship. You know, one thing I, I really don't like to do is I don't like to borrow money from my friends. I, I hate the feeling of owing somebody else something. I don't like that feeling of asking my friend for money or, or having that debt, but I have no problem taking out a mortgage or financing a car because I'm dealing with an institution rather than a person. For Simon, the lender is an institution. Sin is not that bad to him because it's not really hurting anybody. It's merely a transaction with an institution. But for the woman, the lender is Jesus. She gets that her sin is not harmless. It hurts the lender. When you view sin through the prism of religion, it's essentially breaking rules, breaking laws. It's impersonal. But when you view sin through the prism of relationship, it is deeply, deeply personal. It is breaking the very heart of God. You know, when I was young um, and I would do something wrong, my mom would yell at me and punish me, and it wouldn't really affect me. Um, you know, I would, I would okay, I, 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 I did something wrong, so I have to... I have to be punished. And I get in trouble and I guess I try not to do it again, but I didn't really feel bad. Um, but then there are those rare instances where I messed up a lot and my mom did not yell at me, she didn't punish me, um, but she just broke down and wept because she was so disappointed and hurt by what I did. And I will never forget those moments why? Because they showed me that I wasn't just breaking rules. My sin, it was deeply affecting and hurting someone who loved me more than anyone else in the world. Simon viewed sin as this impersonal transgression against a law, against an institution. This woman knew intuitively that her sin grieved the very heart of God. And if sin is not that big a deal, if it's not that hurtful, then the forgiveness of sin is also uneventful. Jesus offers the forgiveness of sin, but Simon kind of shrugs. He doesn't really care. Can I ask you, how do you view the concept of sin in your life? Maybe you don't think you're debtor at all. Or maybe you generally acknowledge that you're not perfect, but I'm not like that racist attorney, or I'm not a school shooter, I've, I've never killed anybody. How big is your debt to you? Do you think that by living a good life, by trying really hard, you have enough in you to be saved by God. Is sin just breaking a few rules? The Bible says no. And in Christianity alone, do you have a God who is deeply hurt by our sin, 
because He created us to be in relationship with Him. You, you're never going to see this in other religions. You're never going to see this in Islam. Allah will never allow Himself to be hurt, vulnerable to humans. But the God of the Bible is a God who is deeply affected and wounded by sin. Sin is a rejection of the love that God gives. It absolutely devastates God and also those around us. And this is why forgiveness of sin is so amazing. The woman gets it. Simon doesn't. This leads to my next point, the difference in their commitment to Jesus. When Jesus points out what Jesus points out is that Simon does the bare minimum when he hosts Jesus. Simon, no water for my feet, no kiss, no oil. Can you imagine what Simon was thinking when Jesus said this to him? You know, as I was preparing the sermon this week, we had some guests from our church, from church, come over to our house. And imagine that they came over and they said to me, Gene, you didn't even kiss me when I got here. I would be thinking, what kind of entitlement is this? What do you want from me? Simon is thinking this. Jeez, what do you want from me? I, I already risked a lot just by inviting you over. You should be thankful. I'm treating you just as well as I would treat anyone else that I have had over to my house. And Jesus is saying, Exactly. Jesus is being treated like any other guest. Nothing special. He gets the same amount of care and attention that Simon would give to anyone and everyone else. For Simon, Jesus is just another part of his life. But for this woman... Jesus is everything. Most likely, this woman either met Jesus before or heard him teach on a prior occasion, and she's coming here in response to that first encounter. Why is she coming? What's her goal here? What's her mission? Well, it says that she's bringing an alabaster jar of oil. This was a small, very, very small flask of perfume that was incredibly expensive. Uh, they estimate about a year's wages. It had this really long, skinny neck, and even if you were to tip it over, you'd get about a drop at a time coming out because it was so skinny. And commentators say that this was an extravagant accessory of fragrance and beauty. So it was for either the, the very, very wealthy elite or it was a tool of the trade for prostitutes. They would wear it around their necks and it was meant to enhance their desirability and their attractiveness. Her mission in this party it was to pour out the perfume at the feet of Jesus, to anoint his feet with it. But the jar is only designed to let out about a drop at a time. It would take all night for her to pour it out. 
And the only way to really do it would be if she were to break the jar. This was the most valuable thing that she had. More than that, it was the only power she really had, her only leverage in life. And she's coming to Jesus to surrender it all to him, to surrender her past, her very way of life, her sin, everything. That's her mission. But as she enters the room, as she walks past the astonished gaze of the guests, as she makes her way to Jesus and she finally stands before him at his feet, she doesn't reach for the bottle to pour it out. She can't. Because she finds herself weeping there at his feet, unable to speak or move. The text says she just stands there. She stands and she weeps. Her tears fall on his feet. And then she bends down, lets down her hair, and wipes his feet, kissing them. And then she finally takes her jar of perfume, breaks it, and pours it all out at his feet, giving him her everything. She has nothing left to give. Simon wants a detached, impersonal religion. No tears, no kissing, no touching. He wants information. He wants a discussion. She wants a relationship. What do you want? How are you hosting Jesus? If you are a Christian in this room, that means you've invited Jesus into your life. Are you taking the Simon approach to hosting? Bare minimum. Detached. Impersonal. You'll come to church if you have nothing better to do. You'll sing the songs. You'll participate in the forms and the practices of Christianity. Or are you giving him your jar? Everybody has a jar. Everybody has something that is precious to them that they build their identity and worth upon. And everybody will pour that perfume out at someone's feet. Who gets your perfume? Who gets your devotion? Who gets your commitment, your loyalty? Where do you look for ultimate satisfaction and meaning? It could be career. It could be a relationship. It could be friends, family. It could be your ability, your intellect, your attractiveness. The list goes on and on and on. The woman saw in Jesus someone who loved her despite her sin. And she also saw someone who could save her from it. Remember we said, there's a debt to sin. A debt that's greater than you could ever imagine and one that you could never pay. And the thing about debt, and I think my friends in finance would back me up, the thing about debt is that it never just goes away. Debt never just disappears. 
debts can only be transferred unless they're paid. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. You know, in Jesus' time on business documents and on receipts, whenever the debt was paid, one word would be written on the receipt, and it would be tetelestai, basically meaning complete, paid in full. And according to the Gospel of John, the last thing that Jesus says on the cross before he dies, tetelestai, complete, paid in full. Jesus could have left us in our sin to pay off the unpayable, but he decides to pay the debt himself. The woman gets it. Simon doesn't. Do you? My last point is the response to Jesus. This woman has literally just lost everything. She's lost her most valued possession. She's lost her profession. She's lost any sort of earning potential. And if that were not enough, she has lost whatever tattered reputation she had left because by next morning, the whole city would have heard who she is and what she did at the party. She has literally nothing left. But I love what Jesus says to her. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, when we think of peace, we think of the absence of violence, right? But in the Jewish world, the idea of peace meant so much more. Not just the absence of violence, but the word shalom in Hebrew. It means completeness, wholeness, fullness. This woman has been stripped of everything, but Jesus tells her to go in peace. Be whole. Be complete. Be full. The world would look at this woman and say that she has nothing, but Jesus tells her she has everything. Everything. And I love this story because while we've seen responses of faith to Jesus thus far, this is the first time we see a true response of love to Jesus. And the sad thing is that even as this woman is on her knees pouring out her love to Jesus, weeping, kissing, loving, Simon, his response is... Does, does Jesus know what kind of woman she is? Is he really a prophet? You know, I've, I've, I must have read this story a thousand times in my life. But I saw something this week that I've never seen before. Right after the parable, in verse 44, Luke says, Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? You know, Jesus is at the table. He could easily talk to Simon right there. But what does he do? He turns toward the woman. And he asks Simon a very simple and basic question. Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see her? 
Why did Jesus need to ask that question? Of course Simon sees her. Everybody's looking at her. But Jesus say, no, 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 no. Simon, do you see this woman? Simon doesn't see this woman. What does he see? He sees prostitute. He sees sinner. He sees a nobody. He doesn't see the woman. He doesn't see the person. But Jesus turns toward the woman and he never turns away. He sees her. He sees her. Can you imagine living life as a prostitute? No one ever sees her. All people see is an object to be used. People walk by, nobody sees her. But maybe for the first time in her life, someone sees her. Jesus. Not prostitute. Not sinner. Not her past. Not nobody. Can I tell you that Jesus also sees you? Not your sin? Not who others say you are? Not your past? Not nobody? Jesus turns toward you and he sees you. Son, daughter, beloved. How will you respond to him? You know, if, if we're Christians, then then you know that we have our Simon days and we have our woman days, right? You know, there are some times where we get it, where we, we, we are reminded of the love of Christ for us and we are moved and we respond like this woman in gratitude and, and love, but then there are other days where we just feel completely disconnected, detached, impersonal. So how do we become more and more like this woman? Well, remember, for her, it all changed the closer she got to Jesus. And by the time she's standing there with her jar, she can't even pour it out because she's so moved. Friends, be in relationship with Jesus. Get near Him. And we can do that in the Word. We can do that in prayer. Relationship, not religion. A person, not an institution. That is the Lord that we have. And finally, if you really want to kiss the feet of Jesus, what do you do? How do you kiss the feet of Jesus? How does he want to be kissed? Matthew 25, verses 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when? When, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it, 
to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Do you want to kiss the feet of Jesus? Kiss the feet of the least, of the last, of the lost. The same question that Jesus asked Simon, he asks you, do you see this woman? Do you see the hurting? Do you see the marginalized? Do you see the oppressed? Do you see the mourning? Do you see those who are lonely? Do you see the dying? There's so many in this world who are not receiving water for their feet or kisses or oil on their heads. In light of what Jesus has done for us, let us go to the least, the last, and the lost, washing, kissing, anointing Jesus through them. Let us become like this woman, giving up everything to him and going in peace, fullness, completeness, and love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this good news. That your son, Jesus Christ, turned to us and saw us and paid our debt in full. I pray that we would kiss his feet in return. And that would be the posture of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.